Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. We're talking with Lamar Waldron, the, uh, the guy that the Chicago Tribune called one of the best investigative journalists in the United States. He's the author of numerous books. He and I together uh, wrote Ultimate Sacrifice and Legacy of Secrecy about the Kennedy assassination. Legacy of Secrecy also goes into the Bobby Kennedy and, and Martin Luther King assassinations. And his most recent book on this, which he did himself, uh, which is like the most updated version of all this, is titled The Hidden History of the JFK Assassination. He also wrote Watergate, The Hidden History, which is a brilliant book. Maybe you're noticing a theme here. So just to recap very quickly, Harry Williams, best, uh, very close friend with Bobby Kennedy, spends time with him in New York, spends time with him in the Hamptons, um, is working with him to try to overthrow the, the, uh, the Bay of Pigs hero, Working well. Uh, let me just toss it to you. Continue. Well, with what it. happened was so. So it became known in the Cuban exile community in Miami, which still had a lot of back and forth at that time with with Cuba, of course. That that Bobby Kennedy and Harry Williams were were close, and so one day, Bobby Kennedy, I mean Harry Williams, gets a call from his old friend, the commander of the Cuban army, actually the guy who founded the Cuban army back when there were only like Castro and his 12 disciples, literally the guy who founded the Cuban army and was the commander of the Cuban army, actually Commander Juan Almeida, uh, called Harry on the phone in Miami. And Harry's a little cautious because he's like, well, isn't this phone bugged? And Almeida says, oh, no, I, I control, that, 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 that's controlled by the army, monitoring the conversations, uh, you know, to, to, between Cuba and Miami. So, no, no, you don't have to worry. This is, this, is, this is probably the only safe line in all of Cuba to talk on. And he says, look, if you can get Bobby to get JFK on board, kind of like we had talked about back in, in the spring of 61, but now it's May of 63, uh, I'll overthrow Fidel Castro for you. But I've got to know, you know, I've got to have the support of the President of the United States. So I actually have Bobby Kennedy's phone logs from that, that time. And you can see Bobby uh, gets a call from Harry Williams. Bobby Kennedy calls JFK. They no doubt talk about Almeida's offer. And then Bobby Kennedy calls um, Harry Williams back, no doubt saying that, yeah, JFK is, is, is on board. And, and by the way, it's within a week of that, that that we now have files, thanks to the Fifth Government Committee, the Assassination Records Review Board, that, that, that show that, that, that high levels of the American military, and, and other uh, national security groups start making plans for what to do if, if high-level Cuban military official were to make an outreach to the United States. And of course, you know, so, so they start making these plans that will keep going all the way through November. But of course, most of the people working on those plans are just looking at it as, as, as like Dean Rusk, as a what-if exercise. In reality, only JFK, Robert Kennedy, and a few other high officials, including Secretary of the Army Cyrus Vance, the father of the Manhattan District Attorney. 
Cyrus Vance Jr. So, so, uh, so, so again, you see how secret it is. So these were the only guys who knew that in the first week of December of '63, which was you know two weeks after Kennedy was assassinated. Well, was... literally, we have the date from the CIA file and, and implying it for what Harry said, but it was literally. Ten days after Dallas, December first, nineteen sixty-three. That was the day. One, one file, one military file, doing that contingency, that the the what if planning, mm-hmm. literally calls that D Day. So yeah, yeah no, we know. So the they day. were so they were going to take out Castro on that day, and the thing that stopped it was Kennedy being assassinated. Exactly, exactly. So, so, so a couple more important, super important things about the coup plan, aside from the fact of how secret it was. As far as I can tell, only about a dozen. American officials, including you know, JFK and Bobby, of course, and Cyrus Vance, uh, and, and Alexander Haig, of all people, uh, knew about, you know, knew that all this planning that started the week after Almeida called Harry Williams wasn't just a what-if scenario, but right. it was the real thing. But so, they also had to figure out what to do to deny, you know, to have deniability, and this is what led to the cover-up of the Kennedy assassination. Well, and, and as Harry Williams thing. told us, the there would be someone in Cuba to take the fall for it, right. and and from those planning documents, uh, we know that that would be a Russian or a Russian sympathizer. So the CIA would be responsible for getting a Russian or a Russian sympathizer in place in Cuba, and they would take the blame. All right? Can you spell Lee Harvey Oswald? We started with Dean Rusk, John Kennedy's Secretary of State, came down to Atlanta when Lamar and I were running an ad agency in Atlanta. We were doing a newsletter for the public broadcasting station. Dean Rusk, we interviewed him, and we asked him, you know, right straight up, was there another attempt to assassinate Castro that nobody knew about? You know, after the Bay of Pigs and after the Cuban Missile Crisis, and Dean Rusk said, yes, there was, which led us to Harry Williams, who was involved in this, who was very, very tight with Bobby, uh, Bobby's closest aide during 1963 and 64, traveled all over the country together. And and this was, uh, you know, one of the most amazing and, and difficult interviews, I think, that, 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 that I've ever had, that we've ever had, you know, uh, meeting, well, actually with Harry Williams, not so much that, but the, the John Nolan one. And, and then Harry led us to John Nolan. But just wrap up Harry Williams real quick here, right, uh, right. Lamar, and then let's get into John Nolan. So, so what happened with Harry was, so, so the CIA was still spending millions of dollars a month on all these Cuban exile leaders. Bobby Kennedy said, look, I can't deal with all these guys. I will deal with you, Harry, because you're my friend. I trust you. You pick out, uh, you know, maybe four other leaders from across the political spectrum. We'll back them, you know, the CIA is giving money to lots of other people, but we'll, we'll give some real money to the people you pick. And then they will all have to agree to work with Commander Almeida in a coalition government after the coup. Because, again, right. the Kennedys didn't view this as assassination. They viewed it as, well, the, the word everybody used with us was elimination right. now, and, and a coup plan. It was, it was, helping, you know, it was helping Cubans overthrow Castro, to, and, and then it would right. be followed by democracy, the, the mafia would right. not and be let, allowed. And, and let me just jump in here real quickly, Lamar, because Harry revealed to us that the commander of the Cuban army, Juan Almeida, had reached out to Harry and said, I'm willing to help overthrow Castro and the Castro regime, but we're going to need American help, you know, particularly after that happens. Bobby took this to John. John signed off on it. Bobby signed off on it. Cyrus Vance knew about it. John Nolan, Bobby Kennedy's closest aide. I mean, it's just so... So, so, so it's this big secret program, right. but unfortunately, even though the Kennedys were determined they would keep the mafia out of the coup plan. Remember, they didn't know the CIA was still working with the mafia to try and assassinate Fidel. So they were determined to keep these mobsters that Bobby was prosecuting, makes sense, out of the coup plan, and the mafia would be forbidden from reopening their posh casinos in Cuba after the coup plan. So the mafia was totally shut out. The mafia had nothing to gain by letting this coup plan go ahead because it wouldn't do them any good. So unfortunately, at least half a dozen members of the mafia, uh, and, and by that I mean mafia associates as well as made members, found out about the coup plan. I mean, people ranging from Jack Ruby to the guy John Martino, David Morales, the head of CIA operations in Miami. So a half dozen mobsters and mafia associates, which of course would include Marcello, 
the godfather of Louisiana and Texas, Traficante, godfather of Tampa and much of Florida, and Johnny Roselli, the Chicago Mafia's man in Hollywood Las Vegas, who was the biggest CAA asset of the group, they found out about this. And so what 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 happened was the as hard as, as, as Bobby and Harry tried to keep the mafia out, they were able to worm their way in to learn about this plan, and they knew this was so secret. A year after we almost got blown up at the Cuban Missile Crisis, that that this would have that if they could somehow mix their plans of. Uh, taint, I guess you would say, the Kennedy plans to stage the coup in Cuba, if they could mix that up with the mafia's plans to use their CIA help not to kill Fidel, but to kill JFK, that would force a cover-up that wouldn't last weeks or months, that could last years and decades, and it has. Yeah, and so, may maybe we should pause here for just one moment and, and point out that at this point now, um, you know, late 1963, as the mafia has found out about all this stuff, um, they have also decided that they're going to kill John Kennedy. Exactly. And we'll get into more detail on that later. But, yeah, they, they originally were going to kill Bobby Kennedy, uh, you know, because he was the attorney general prosecuting them. But, but as Carl and, and, and Hoffa was determined to do that. We, we talked to some Justice Department people who had come, come across that plot. And, uh, but, but as Carlos Marcello explained to one of his friends, and I'm sure also explained to his close associate, Jimmy Hoffa, if you kill Bobby Kennedy, the attorney general, JFK will just send in the army, meaning JFK will turn around and bite you. Exactly. Everybody knew that Bobby Kennedy and LBJ didn't like each other. So right. literally, the day JFK was going to Dallas, so Harry Williams had his four other groups. They, they were called Bobby Kennedy's Five Fingers because after Almeida staged the coup and blamed Fidel and probably um, Rule's death on a Russian or Russian sympathizer, just like if, if you open up your hand with Cuba being in your palm and then you close it, and those five fingers all go into Cuba. Harry Williams, there was a military group that we're going to talk about very shortly, uh, being trained at Fort Benning, Georgia. So the first U.S. troops into Cuba after the coup, because uh, would be not a bunch of crew-cut, all-white U.S. Marines. No, it would be Cuban-Americans, the veterans from the Bay of Pigs who had been in training, who were now officers and, and enlisted men, and, and the officers were being trained at Fort Benning, Georgia. So they would be the first U.S. troops in this multiracial group, and it was even commanded by a black man who you talk to. And yes. so, so this was all set. Harry was meeting with top CIA officials in a safe house in Washington on November 22nd. He was getting ready to go in to Cuba. Um, by Monday, he would be going from Guantanamo, the U.S. base, into Cuba. He would be with Commander Almeida. So they were just days away from, I guess you would call it, the fail-safe point where Harry couldn't be called back because we didn't have a, a good way to communicate with Almeida once Harry was inside Cuba, and Harry would wait there until the coup. So, so these Cuban exile groups were trained. The Cuban-American troops were trained. Harry was there. He was, you know, and it was, it was a go. It was all set. And, and, and if, if then I, they get the call that JFK has been shot. Right, and I got to and I got to say, just for for people who are uh, listening, um, uh, you and I sat in in Colorado in a restaurant with Harry. Um, over a few drinks, and as he laid this whole story out for us, I mean, it was just absolutely breathtaking. And, and, and by the way, the reason he was still alive to talk when so many of his associates were murdered in the 60s and the 70s was because this man who was a hero to every Cuban-American in Miami who could not buy a drink or pay for a restaurant meal in Miami, he chose to live in the snowy, uh, 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 you know, wilds of Colorado. Well, you know, Bill because Cooper that, thought he was hiding. That kept him alive. Right. Bill Cooper thought he was hiding out. I mean, you know, uh, it turned out he was just, you know, he was, he was uh, importing guns. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it, it, but the other thing was that he thought that this plan had been declassified. He didn't realize that he was telling us something that was still top secret, which is why well, and, when and I and met with Oliva, he threatened my life over just mentioning this case. Well, well, and the important thing there is that, that Oliva disappeared from the scene in Cuba in the late 1980s. You so when Al I'm talking to Dean Rusk, when we're talking to Harry Williams, and, and we're about to get into General Oliva and John Nolan, they all assumed 
that that when you disappear in Cuba and you're an official, you're you're you're, you're dead, right? Right. So that's the other big reason they were willing to share all this with. Right. So they yeah, and and obviously if the if the asset in Cuba, the, the head of the army who was going to overthrow Castro, if he's dead, then the the plan must be gone, right? And so anyhow, we'll we'll continue with this conversation with Lamar Waldron in just a moment. You'll find these stories all laid out, by the way, in the books, Ultimate Sacrifice, Legacy of Secrecy, and Watergate, The Hidden History by Lamar Walden. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And welcome back. So, Lamar, uh, you want to... So, so, Tom, I, I can think of a couple of incredible things about Harry that are important that, that could, we could talk about before the break. Sure. Does that sound good? Go for it. So, so remember, so Harry... Harry's basically you know, telling everybody he's working with, these Cuban, these, these other four hand-selected exile leaders. This is in, in the summer and fall of 63, as we're building up to JFK's murder. And, and the December 1st deadline for the coup, that the mafia is banned from the coup plan. Mafia will not be allowed to reopen their posh casinos after the coup. So the mafia, they don't like that, right? And they figure, well, if we can get rid of Harry, uh, maybe uh, two of the people that Harry picked, unknown to Harry, were also mafia associates. A guy by the name of Manuel Artemi, who had been uh, one of the leaders of the Bay of Pigs, super conservative guy, I mean, far to the right of Hitler, uh, Harry told us, and, uh, and Tony Verona, a former Cuban senator who had, been, who had been one of the political leaders that was supposed to take over after the Bay of Pigs. Harry didn't realize they, they had kind of sold the plan out to the mafia. Literally, I have the document where the mafia paid Tony Verona half a million dollars. Which one of those guys out. was the guy I was chasing around Miami? That's another guy that we'll save for the next Okay, all right. But so basically, the mafia had a Cuban exile they liked to work with named Rolando Masferrer, who had death squads in Cuba. Vicious, vicious guy. And, and so Harry's at Bobby guy. Kennedy's apartment, the Kennedy apartment in New York City. There's a knock at the door, and it's Rolando Masferrer and a couple of his torpedoes. Hitman. And Moss Ferrer basically threatens Harry with death in Bobby Kennedy's New York City apartment if unless Bobby lets this, this, you know, Cuban thug mafia associate into the plan. And Harry's like, no, no, you, you can't do that. You can't threaten me. Doesn't matter what you do. You're not getting into the plan. Okay, so, so the mafia, you know, pays off the guy I mentioned before, Tony Verona, who, unknown to Harry, has been working with the mafia, to get Moss Ferrer in, you know, the, kind of the back door to the plan. But then, so Harry goes to Guatemala to meet one of the other Cuban exile leaders, Manuel Artemi. Um, Harry goes out to dinner before he's actually going to meet up with Manuel Artemi because Artemi has a huge U.S.-funded secret camp in Guatemala, which is where his 
his troops are going to be, his men are going to be, and, and they're getting like millions and millions from the CIA under the authorization of the Kennedys, so that they'll be able to get into Cuba after the coup, and our Timmy will be part of that coalition government. But, but so, so Harry's, you know, gets into Guatemala late. He goes out to dinner at a really nice, fancy restaurant in Guatemala. The next morning, he is going to meet with Manuel Artimi. Now, Manuel Artimi is, like I say, he's to the right of Adolf Hitler. His, his best friend in America is a guy by the name of E. Howard Hunt, who's one of the two CIA agents that the CIA assigned to, to work with Harry and to do whatever Harry wanted. Because remember, the CIA didn't call him the shots on the coup plan. <laughs> Harry Williams and Bobby Kennedy are. And so, uh, um, so basically, in that fancy restaurant, a couple of gunmen come in, pull out their guns to kill Harry. Harry pulls out his gun first, shoots and kills one of them, gets in a gun battle with the other, and runs out through the kitchen. It's amazing. It was an amazing story. It's just absolutely amazing stuff. We'll be right back. Uh, Lamar Waldron with us about the Kennedy assassination. So uh, wrapping up this story about Harry Williams and getting into John Nolan here, Lamar. Right. So again, the plan is put on hold when JFK is killed. And, and by the way, Bobby Kennedy, you know, who's good friends with Harry, uh, Bobby's also good friends with, uh, with Haynes Johnson, who was a top journalist at the time. And so Haynes Johnson calls Bobby Kennedy. Bobby has left the Justice Department. He, even before the assassination, he's at his, his nice estate, Hickory Hill. And Haynes Johnson gets through to Bobby Kennedy, and he mentions that Harry's in the room with him. And, and Bobby says, put, put Harry on the line. Harry comes on the line, and I, actually, I should say, before Harry comes on the line, Bobby tells journalist Haynes Johnson, who has written a book, by the way, on the Bay of Pigs, with Harry Williams. Now, this um, is right after John is shot. Right, right. This, this is this within two hours. Within two hours, right. John being shot. Haynes Johnson, like I say, he, he's, he's visiting Harry at a safe house in Washington where, where, where Harry was. And we know, confirmed all this. Right. And so, well, Harry and Haynes confirmed it. Yes, uh, to us. Uh, yes. Uh, and though, others. Though Harry, though, though Harry told a slightly, I'm sorry, though Haynes told a slightly different story to another writer until I told him we had recorded our interviews with Harry, and then he, he went back and confirmed yeah. what he had told us. Yeah. And that's basically, Bobby Kennedy told Haynes Johnson, one of your guys did it. Right. Manuel Artimi, who was the mafia-compromised, uh, one of those five fingers for Bobby Kennedy, was one of those co-authors who had worked with Haynes Johnson. So Bobby's initial instinct was to finger a mob-connected Cuban exile who was part of the coup plan. And this but, is in any event. So, if I could, real quick, this sure. is part of the extraordinary. Uh, I don't know if it's pronounced pathos or pathos. You know, this it's just the kind of awful sadness about this. Bobby, after his brother has been assassinated, two hours after his brother is assassinated, is basically saying to to this reporter and to Harry. Uh, it, one of his very closest friends, um, the the program that my brother and I put together to overthrow Castro, that was also going to help them in the election of '64. By the way, let's add um, that this program that we put together to overthrow Castro is what got turned around and used to kill my brother. And That's he, exactly and, right. And, and that just crushed him. I mean, he walked around for months just crushed by the. Oh, idea he was just, he was that, shattered. That I he, mean, we talked to John Davis, the the Kennedy. Uh, the, uh, who was part of Jackie Kennedy's family and wrote the Marcello biography, and he was at the White House the uh, Saturday after the assassination on Friday, and he said, yeah, Bobby was just a shattered wreck of a person. Yeah. So, um, but, but, but let, let, let's get to, 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 to John Nolan. Right. So, yeah, we've got so, about two minutes. So, so once JFK is assassinated, his body, for some reason, of course, there's no autopsy done in Dallas, and, and the Kennedy, you know, the security officials, you know, FBI Secret Service, I mean, they, they practically forced JFK's body out of the hospital because the Dallas officials, they want to do the autopsy there, right? And they, they, the, the Secret Service, FBI, they get it on the plane, they get it to Bethesda, a naval hospital. So why is, why is all that? So one of the people that Harry Williams said we should talk to was a guy by the name of John Nolan. Most of your listeners will not know John Nolan from a hole in the ground, but John Nolan worked at the Justice Department. He was an attorney there. He was Bobby Kennedy's 
chief aide during 1963 and early 64. Every He had all the security clearances. Every top secret document that got sent to Bobby Kennedy, who was running the Cuban operation for JFK, was seen by John Nolan. So John Nolan knew everything. He is one of those dozen U.S. officials who knew yeah, the coup plan is no what-if possibility. It's a sure thing. And so uh, Harry said, you guys should talk to John Nolan. So we called, and, 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 and I arranged a – he said, okay, you can come to my – we, we can go out to lunch. You know, I don't really want to talk about this at the office. We can go out to lunch. Okay. So I'm going to fly up to Washington. The day before I fly up, Nolan says, now, Nolan, by 1992 – he is a senior partner at Washington's most powerful law firm. He remained close to Bobby Kennedy, working on his last campaign until Bobby was shot. He then remained close to the Kennedy family, giving Ted Kennedy advice after Chappaquiddick that if Ted Kennedy had followed, Ted Kennedy might become president someday. So, so John Nolan is this, you know, John Nolan's the kind of attorney who argues in front of the Supreme Court, you know, not, not once or twice, but, you know. So just to recap very quickly, we have a coup plot against Castro that was hatched in 1963 after the Bay of Pigs, after the Cuban Missile Crisis. This is with uh, Juan Almeida, the commander of the Cuban army, who has said he will assist in taking out Castro and he will help take over the country if the U.S. will provide him with support. He cuts this deal with Bobby Kennedy himself through the intermediary of Harry Williams, who Lamar and I interviewed extensively on, on, on a couple of occasions, on multiple occasions, actually. The coup plot is, is ongoing. They were going to have a Soviet-associated patsy take the credit for the assassination of Castro in Cuba on December 1st, 1963. And then... Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing. Oh, and then we talked to Dean Rusk, and he confirmed that this was, was going on. He was Kennedy's secretary of state. We talked to Harry Williams. He confirmed it. Uh, Lamar was talking about uh, talking with John Noland, who was Bobby Kennedy's closest aide, best friend, or one of his best friends. Um, and he confirmed that there was actually essentially, or, or sort of confirmed that there was essentially a cover-up. My recollection is that I found a document in the Kennedy Library after I met with Dave Powers, uh, you know, who was in the car behind Kennedy. He was Kennedy's right-hand man. Um, right, right, right. That, 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 was, that was the first page. And it had uh, Al Haig's the, name the, on the it. The Cuba Contingency Plan. So those are those plans. They, Bobby had the secret subcommittee of the National Security Council start making in September. Then I, I later on, I got like 20 more pages from an army. Right. And so this plan was in place in case Castro got wind of this new attempt to assassinate him on December 1st, 1963. If he heard about it in advance and, and decided to take revenge on the United States by killing our ambassador to Panama, was the example John Nolan gave you, exactly. then we would we would cover that up. Uh, by getting that ambassador's body to Washington, D.C., and essentially mutilating it in an autopsy if necessary and, well, and it, controlling all the information. Exactly, because the goal would be, as Nolan explained, and, and the documents indicate, but Nolan just you know, was bluntly explaining. He said, look, you know, the point is you, you had to control the flow of information to keep the 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 U.S. president from being forced into an invasion of Cuba. Correct. You know, until you By get the American the of all this. Right. You know. Right. If if the word got out that Castro just killed an American ambassador to to Panama, the the pressure for another invasion of Cuba would be so great. And John Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy were both concerned that number one that would get in the way of their their December first sixty three effort to kill Castro, and number two it could provoke World War Three. Russia exactly. would intervene. So some close so close to that. So, right. So, so, you, they, you so they changed stuff. the entrance wound in the front of Kennedy's throat to an exit wound to make it look like he was shot from behind. Well, by, well they, they didn't. They didn't actually. I mean, they were. Ba I mean, from from everything I have read since, you know, coupled with what no one said, someone was literally, and you know, they may have only had fifteen or twenty minutes. People should know that the honor guard that was supposed to escort JFK's, uh, the hearse with JFK's body from uh, Air Force One to uh, to Bethesda lost it. 
So there, there are, you know, 30, 45 minutes, like totally unaccounted for. There are all these different times as to when the autopsy supposedly started. So it looks like, so, so they weren't mutilating it just to, to, to hide. I mean, somebody had a very limited amount of time. And so I, I think they were literally, you know, so it was a little interest room, little tracheotomy incision. They wanted to see where that bullet went. Yeah, you know, yeah. so so that's what you know, so that that was so the fact that it was horribly mutilated and large was kind of a byproduct, and so the autopsy doctors in Dallas they didn't even know there was a wound in the front of the throat. Yeah, you know, they didn't find that out until Sunday. Right. So 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 two more quick things about Nolan, they're very important. One is so so you know if somebody watched the Oliver Stone movie, which is good as drama, but you know it's. It was, it was you, know, you know, Jim Garrison's investigation that, that the movie is about, it was like 1967, 68. There's a little information that's more recent than that that's credible. But, you know, otherwise, you know, you're, 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 you know JFK is a well-done dramatic movie that's state-of-the-art as far as what we knew in 68, which, yeah, we knew a lot more by the 70s and the 80s and in the early 90s. You would think that a bunch of shadowy generals controlled the autopsy, but it wasn't. I mean, as Nolan, who was the intermediary, told me, you know, it was it was Bobby Kennedy who controlled the autopsy through him and through Admiral Berkeley, and and there are many other people I cite in the book, you know, people who were there that right. confirmed that. And by the way, I don't take anybody's word for anything. I looked hard, and sure enough, there was a Kennedy authorized book, initially authorized by Jackie, called uh, "Death of a President" by William Manchester in the mid '60s. If anyone looks in that book, you will see that at Bethesda with Bobby Kennedy was John Nolan. Right. Because otherwise, John Nolan is such a low-profile figure. So when people have wondered, what happened to JFK's brain? What happened to all the missing autopsy evidence, tissue samples? What, what happened to the missing x-rays and photographs? You know, based on what Nolan told me and, and, and other research I was able to do after that, yeah, all that wound up with Bobby Kennedy. I mean, that's what all the evidence shows. So, in other words, so it wasn't shadowy general. And it was because he was pro- trying to protect the world from World War Three. Exactly. Exactly. Bobby it was. He wasn't trying to cover up some some crime that he thought he was part of. He was trying to prevent World War III. And Al Haig was in on this, and Cyrus Vance was in on this, right. and Al Dean Haig Musk was in part of those. The, the, the contingency planning for what to do with guess who they turned to to, to to handle all the burial details? Alexander Haig and Joseph Califano, who had both been working on these, you know, both the right. coup plan and the plans, the contingency plans to protect the And country. both have subsequently confirmed that. So Well, well they, they've, you know, they, they've never talked about Commander Almeida or anything, but, but they talked about, you know, that, yeah, they, the they were, had, they'd worked with the, the Cubans. The cover-up, essentially. And, 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 and they had worked with, you know, they wouldn't call it that, but you know, and then they had worked on, you know, aspects of the coup plan. So yeah. they're, they're both very careful people, or were. Califano's still alive. So One to, last to, thing about John Nolan. Up, yeah. So Nolan was a lawyer at the Justice Department. And Nolan said that Bobby Kennedy asked him to do a secret investigation of the assassination. Because Bobby Kennedy kept any information about the coup plan away from the Warren Commission. Okay. So even though you know, Bobby trusted some of the people in the Warren Commission, he didn't trust others. And it was actually some of Bobby Kennedy's own people that kind of pressured to create the Warren Commission, because otherwise the only investigation would have been under the control of J. Edgar Hoover. And you know, Bobby and, and his aides didn't like him at all. So how can an investigation be done? Well, so Bobby asked John Nolan, who knew all about the coup plan and who knew some about the mafia, because everything Bobby was doing about the mafia, you know, those papers went across John Nolan's desk before they went to Bobby. And so John Nolan, you know, he probably knew about as much about the mafia as, as, as anybody at Justice at that time, the mafia and their ally Hoffa. And unlike everyone else at the Justice Department, except for Bobby, John Nolan knew about the coup plan. And so Nolan did his own private investigation that was only shared with Robert Kennedy. And so you can imagine one question I asked John Nolan was, well, what what did you find? And Nolan said, did you see that Jack Anderson special back in 1988? And I said, yes, I did. That's what got me and my uh, collaborator on this, Tom Hartman, interested. He said, well, he said that had a very important piece of the puzzle that and again, he's being very careful in his wording, so I'm, I'm summarizing what, what he would take five minutes to say, okay? Just want to make that clear. And, and he said, 
you know, he implied, I should say, that he had focused on Carlos Marcello, the godfather of Louisiana and Texas, who had been being prosecuted by Bobby's Justice Department in New Orleans pretty much the whole month of November. And he had also, Nolan had focused on Santo Traficante. But Nolan said the person he did not, he was not able to uncover in 1964 was Johnny Roselli. So it was only in the 70s when the Senate committee revealed Johnny Roselli and in that Jack Anderson special, he said Roselli was the final piece. That's what you should look at. Roselli, Marcello. Which brought us to the mafia. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back with more with Lamar Waldron on the, the assassination of John Kennedy. We'll be right back. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So, Lamar, do you want to wrap up any any loose ends that might be floating around here? Well, yeah, again, so right now we've 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 got you know we've had Rusk, Harry Williams, and then John Nolan. Right. And and by the way, John Nolan basically said again, you know, you would take five minutes to say it, but he implied you know he had he had kept up with everything. Here's something very important. Your listeners are going to find amazing, but but it's good to talk about before the break. So. When John Nolan was first working for Bobby Kennedy, one of his first jobs was helping Bobby Kennedy with getting the Bay of Pigs prisoners out of Cuba in the fall of 62. So that's also how John Nolan came to become such good friends, lifelong friends, with Harry Williams, because they remained right. lifelong friends. Yeah, because it was Harry's refer- reference that a lot, you know, that gave John it, Nolan. That even got me to be able to talk, because right. again, you know, when I asked Nolan, you know, was Harry Williams credible? Uh, Nolan, I think he said, and again, words to the effect. These aren't his words to the effect, and he took five minutes to say it. Uh, imagine the most credible person you can imagine that you would literally trust your life to. Yeah. And you can trust every word they say. That's Harry Williams. So, so I was like, oh, okay. And, and then he, you know, and then individually he confirmed more. So stuff. was Nolan but, part of the, of, you know, this this group uh, that the this document that I found that had Al Haig's name on it, uh, you know, at the Kennedy Library. He, he wasn't part of that group, but he saw every document because so he like was aware of it. Five agents. Yeah. So he this was this was the, essentially the cover up group. Right. Went through Nolan to. Well, that they would they would call it the protect us from World War Three group. Exactly, so it yeah. depends on your perspective. Yeah. Um, but 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 get this about Nolan. So so uh, Nolan was working with a guy named named uh, named uh, I think it was William Donovan to to get the Bay of Pigs prisoners out. Who was like a distinguished former diplomatic kind of guy. Okay, and so then they but even after the Bay of Pigs prisoners came back, there were still twenty one Americans in Cuban prisons, including four CAA agents. Okay. 
And so they needed to come out. So uh, Donovan and John Nolan were tasked with getting those prisoners out, you know, without revealing the fact that four of the 21 people were CIA agents. You know, because that's what you do. You don't say, oh, we want these four people out, because then Castro would say, well, why do they want these four people? You know, you say, oh, we want to get all the 21 Americans left, and, and then hopefully Castro won't realize, yeah, four of those are CIA agents, you know, which, which under the, I guess, international rules could theoretically be shot. So they started skin diving together, Donovan and Nolan, who was a much, much younger man than Nolan. And, of course, Castro was a very fit former baseball player. They started skin diving together off the coast of Cuba. With as Castro. A way to, with Fidel Castro as a way to, you know, be friendly with him, get to know him, negotiate. You know, it was that kind of roundabout way of Was this in 63? This is in the spring of 1963. Thank you. So, so the, and, and they go skin diving more than once with Fidel Castro. So get this. Now, the CIA is still working with the mafia, and Roselli especially, to, but also Traficati and Marcello, to try and kill Fidel Castro, right? The CIA finds out about this, and they find out that, that Nolan and Donovan want to give Castro a nice, expensive American diving suit. The CIA first tries to figure out how to put poison in that diving suit to kill Castro. When that won't work out, they, they look at planting a seashell with a powerful explosive that would kill Castro, Nolan, and Donovan while they're skin diving. Right. Nolan told you that the CIA exactly. almost killed him. And, and he said, <laughs> that's why Nolan wasn't shy about telling Hey guy. Okay, we're talking with Lamar Waldron, just wrapping up the story of John Nolan and how, uh, and Lamar, you were just uh, starting or finishing up uh, just a moment ago. We were just talking about how uh, John Nolan was telling you how the CIA essentially tried to kill him. Exactly. When, when Nolan was trying to get the last 21 Americans out, this is after the Bay of Pigs prisoners, spring of 63, twice the CIA tried um, to contaminate with deadly poison a diving suit that Nolan and, and, and his, his uh, partner in the negotiation with Castro, uh, Donovan, were going to give to Castro. When they couldn't figure out the poison right, then they looked at putting an exploding seashell down there so that when Nolan was skin diving with, with Fidel, they'd both be blown up. So, yeah, so Nolan made, made a point to tell me that he was not happy when those details came out in the 1970s and strongly implied that's why he was telling me some of the things he told me. But one thing he didn't tell me. So, so Harry Williams, by this time, had given us the name of Commander Almeida. But I, I wanted some confirmation of that. Uh, Nolan um, never used Almeida's name, and so I mean, I and I didn't press it. Now, just just uh, let me just pause you for a second. Almeida was the head of the for people who might have just tuned in. Al, Almeida was the head of the Cuban army, and the was founder of the Cuban army. The founder of the Cuban army. He was black. He was the he, he was the highest black official in Cuba. He was he was uh, very he had become very disenchanted with the revolution. He thought Castro was turning Cuba into a dictatorship. And he had reached out to Harry and to Bobby Kennedy and said, I will help take out Castro on December 1st, 1963, if you guys will backstop me. Exactly, exactly. So, so I didn't press Nolan on Commander Almeida's name because he was giving me so much other great stuff. You know, I, I, you know, and, he, and, and by the way, at the end of the conversation, Nolan, Nolan was very pleasant the whole time, but he made it real clear yeah, this this would be our only conversation, and we would never meet. You know, and and I'm I'm just grateful. I'm hey, you know, you've been super helpful. So, but 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 we we and I we always try to get confirmation for everything. So Harry had given us Commander Almeida's name. Dean Rusk had only indicated the position. Almeida had I mean I'm, I'm sorry, John Nolan had indicated the position. But we needed another confirmation on Almeida's name, because that's, that's how we manage the millions of facts about the JFK assassination, is only using stuff in, in our books that we can find independent corroboration for. We never take anybody's word for anything. So, um, so how would we get that confirmation? Well, Harry said one of the five fingers was the commander of the Cuban-American troops at Fort Benning, Georgia, who would be the first U.S. troops to go into Cuba, this multiracial brigade who was commanded by a black man named, I believe it's pronounced Ernesto 
Oliva. Ernesto Oliva, yeah. And and so and he was a brigadier. When I met him, he was a brigadier general, was right. he? Right. So at that time, he was the brigadier general at the Washington National Guard, who was in charge of the Washington National Guard. Which, for a black man in 1992, you know, most people didn't know there were black generals until Colin Powell. You know, that was that was a major accomplishment. In addition to the fact, uh, then General Oliva was, um, you know, was 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 Cuban American. And so, uh, basically, Harry said, look, he, he knows all about the coup plan. You should talk to him. You know, he was one of the leaders at the Bay of Pigs. He was the leader of the Cuban-Americans, who would be the first U.S. troops, to, the multiracial brigade that would go into uh, Cuba after the coup at the invitation of its new leader, Commander Juan Almeida. And so... Um, we arranged, you arranged, to uh, talk to Commander, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, to General Oliva back in 1992. Yeah, yeah. I made an appointment with him, uh, got on a plane, went to Washington, D.C. My recollection is that he was in the building that was the National Guard, but it was one of these old 1950s buildings. And I waited a while outside his office, and finally, you know, I was let in, and here's this guy in, in his general uniform, in this big room, and on the far end of the room was, as I recall, an, a, lot, a fairly loud window air conditioner and a couch. And so I sit down and start talking with him, and we're talking about Harry. And he's like, oh, I haven't seen Harry in, in a decade. You know, I, we used to go fishing, and, you know, you know, Harry's just a wonderful guy. And so, you know, it was just kind of this chatty thing. And people should know. So, so you and I had developed these questions for General Oliva. Okay? Right. And in the middle of the questions, you in were the middle of the questions. Ask. I asked him about you Juan Almeida, the commander of the Cuban military, and everything went to hell. We're talking with Lamar Waldron. He and I wrote two books about the Kennedy assassination. He wrote a third. It's called The Hidden History of the JFK Assassination. Thanks to Eric Williams and John Nolan and Almeida, you know, we, we were part of the cover-up. You know, again, the JFK movie, which is good dramatically, but it was, it was really not state-of-the-art as far as what was known about the JFK assassination at the time, certainly not today. I think there's a line, words to the effect, I'm not quoting it exactly, but if you figure out, so in the JFK movie, I think Kevin Costner, as Jim Garrison says, words to the effect, if you figure out who, who, who was behind the cover-up, you'll know who did the crime. Well, that's not true. Because, you know, Bobby Kennedy covered up a lot. Uh, you and I covered up a lot because we didn't, A, we didn't want to get shot. B, Commander Almeida made another appearance in public about a year or so after you interviewed General Oliva. So, so and Oliva we had told us that it was still a live operation. So we're thinking, okay, Almeida may be, you know, killing Castro any day now. So, uh, Lamar, I, we only have a, a few minutes left here. We've, we've got well, let, let, probably let a total of 15 minutes left. One more thing left. about Commander Almeida. So what was the plan to kill JFK? And, and so we now know preventing World War III was a big cause of a lot of the cover-ups. But, you know, the other cause of the cover-ups, every one of the big agencies had a lot to hide because the mafia had found out about the coup plan, even though they were barred from the coup plan or from reopening their casinos, and they had infiltrated it through people like Johnny Roselli through people like Jack Ruby, believe it or not. There's actually, in, in the Warren volumes, not in the report, but in the volumes, yeah, there's an indication that Jack Ruby knew about the coup plan. We know that the guy that Joe Pesci played in the Oliver Stone movie, which, again, I, I like dramatically, Joe Pesci gave a great performance, of a guy by the name of David Ferry, who was a CIA agent. That was later confirmed by the executive assistant to one of the CIA directors. And so David, but David Ferry was also working for the mafia. So, again, you just see that constantly, that, that almost all the mafia people involved were also working for the CIA. So... The CIA was continuing their plan, developed under Vice President Nixon in 1960, to kill Fidel. And they continued it even after the coup plan was well along its way. I think 
if for no other reason than is kind of a backup. I mean, what if right. com- Bobby is all set for a coup and Commander Almeida is killed in a car wreck? Well, right. And John and Bobby thought if this had been shut down, they thought the mafia oh, was yeah, out they, of this they deal. They thought that was all shut down in the spring of 62. It was still going. The, C- the, so, the, so, the mafia. Mo- so the mob now knows that there's this plan to kill Castro and that there's also a plan to cover up any consequences that may come out of it, like Castro seeking revenge and killing the U.S. ambassador to Panama. Well, right. And anybody just reading the newspapers at the time, remember, this is still a year after we all thought we were going to get blown up at the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The mob knew that the more they could connect their assassination plot to the coup plan, the more high government officials would be forced to cover up. Even even the bullets in Oswald's rifle, the Dallas gunsmith who probably sold those, is in an FBI document talking about all the money that can be made in the stock market when this upcoming coup in Cuba happens. So you you know, so you, so you can tell why he wasn't taken to Washington to testify in front of the Warren Commission. So so basically the mafia adapted the plan that was going to be used to kill Fidel, which which we don't know in detail, but I cite a lot of evidence, especially in JFK the hidden history or the hidden history of the JFK assassination. And, and, and in the even much bigger, much more detailed book, the first book, Ultimate Sacrifice. And by the way, people always want to get the trade paperbacks of, of our books, these, you know, the JFK books and the Watergate book, because they have additional information that is not in the hardbacks. But, but I, I make a good case that Castro was probably – so Castro, he, he didn't like limousines. That wasn't the revolutionary style. He would travel between cities and to his estate. State in and uh, Veradero Beach in an open jeep. You know, it's to show he's a man of the people, right? So, so much was withheld from the Warren Commission. It's not even funny. I mean, you know, but it, you know, Bobby Kennedy was holding stuff. Everybody was holding stuff from the Warren Commission. Then we come to Watergate in 1972. Next year will be the 50th anniversary. Involved in Watergate were a, every one of the Watergate burglars, by the way was a current or former CAA agent, not just asset, but actual agent, and every one of the Watergate burglars, plus their their, uh, master controlling them from across the street, E. Howard Hunt, had worked on different aspects of the CAA mafia plots. To kill Castro. To kill Fidel Castro, that's right. Even even James McCord, who was one of the two people the CIA assigned to work with Harry Williams. And by the way, you know Harry only had nice things to say about James McCord, mm-hmm. who was kind of a Boy Scout. Harry only had bad things to say about E. Howard Hunt. I remember. Who, and 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 Bernard Barker. And and Harry, you know, was the guy who said, you know, Bernard Barker, follow that name. He was involved. I'm sure of it. Speaking of. JFK's assassination, and sure enough, it turned out um, at the time of the Watergate break-in, where Barker was one of the Watergate burglars, Barker and his fellow Watergate burglar, Frank Sturgis, were working for Santo Traficante at that time during the Santo Traficante, the guy, one of the three guys who had ordered the hit on John Kennedy. Exactly, exactly right. So, 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 so that kept a lot of information from the Senate Watergate Committee. When they started looking into that and interviewed Johnny Roselli about CIA mafia plots, that got shut down, not by Republicans, but by Democratic Senator Sam well, Urban, because I think someone had said, look, this can lead into some stuff we don't want to have out there because Commander Almeida, still alive, still never. Exactly. The same thing that Oliva told me. And by the way, after Johnny Roselli gave that little bit of testimony, um, didn't they find his body in a 55-gallon 50, drum in the, in the harbor in off Miami? Was it off Miami or was it 
Right, right, right. It was, it was off Miami. So, so, so a lot of the stuff was kept from the Rockefeller Commission that Gerald Ford appointed. It was basically a whitewash, but they did turn up some good information. Then the Senate Church Committee with investigation, they brought back Johnny Roselli to testify not once, not twice, but I think at least three times, and maybe they were looking at a fourth. And then Johnny Roselli has, has lunch with Santo Traficante down in Miami, and then he disappears, and then you're exactly right. He had been uh, killed, dismembered, stuffed in a 55-gallon oil drum. But I hate to say this, but uh, his, his decaying body expanded so much that instead of sinking, it came back to the surface from all the decomposition gases, and it washed ashore in, in, um, in, 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 in part of Miami. Right. And, and that was the first time any... Uh, uh, congressional Senate witness had ever been murdered. Roselli's boss, Sam Giancana, had been killed the year before. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa, who was an associate of Santo Traficani, Carlos Marcello, of course, he was killed. And so, and so that's why the Senate Church Committee didn't get the full story, even though Senator uh, Richard Swikert and Gary Hart, a name some of your listeners will know, really focused on the JFK assassination. And then the Senate with the House Select Committee in the late 70s. Johnny Roselli's death was an open investigation, so that was an excuse for FBI, CIA, etc. to withhold not Roselli from the House Select Committee. Amazing. Tom Hartman, Lamar Waldron here with you. And Lamar, we've got about four minutes to wrap this whole thing up. How did the mafia kill Kennedy? Basically, they adapted the plan that was probably going to be used to kill Fidel by Commander Almeida. And the mafia, even though they were barred from that coup plan, or reopening their casinos. And so, since it was Johnny Roselli, the Chicago Mafia's man in Las Vegas and Hollywood, the closest mobster to the CIA. The first attempt was going to be done in Chicago. The mob's plans don't always have a back, just have a backup plan. Even their backup plans have backup plans. The backup plan for Chicago was Tampa, Florida, four days before Dallas. And so the third choice would be Dallas. And so we know from Secret Service agent Abraham Bolden, the first black presidential Secret Service agent personally selected by JFK to be the first black presidential Secret Service agent and other evidence that, that there was an attempt planned to kill JFK in Chicago. The Secret Service there lost surveillance on the potential assassins. They did arrest Patsy, who an ex-Marine with, with a lot of interesting similarities to Oswald, who worked in a warehouse overlooking the Chicago uh, parade route. JFK was so concerned that they canceled not just the motorcade, but the entire trip at the last minute, uh, a visit to a big football game with powerful Chicago Mayor Daley, probably the most powerful Democrat in the country on that level. And, and they had JFK's press secretary, Pierre Salinger, who I interviewed, give two phony excuses in the space of 30 minutes because they didn't want to say, oh, well, JFK didn't go because he was afraid we were gonna get, you know, he was going to get shot. So that didn't work. They next looked at Tampa, Florida. This, where JFK was going to have the lo long, longest motorcade of his presidential career. Again, the uh, local police and Secret Service and FBI found out that there was a there were actually two plots to kill JFK. They didn't know it was one plot. They, they, they knew there was a white supremacist on Miami police surveillance tape talking about JFK being shot with a high-powered rifle from a tall building. And then there was another plot and actually these are all part of the same plot, uh, that, that was related to the mafia. So JFK was going to give a speech that night with words the CAA had helped him write, directed to reassure Commander Almeida that JFK was 100% behind him and he should go ahead with the coup. Two weeks and later. Th so JFK could not cancel his Tampa motorcade. So even I interviewed the Tampa chief of police. Tampa chief of police said, look, we've got too many tall buildings. We can't guard all of them. You know, there's the biggest hotel in Tampa this big tall building that between you and I looks like the school book depository, only bigger and all the windows open. Um, you shouldn't do this. JFK couldn't explain to him why he had to do it, and he did it, and then it was nerve-wracking. Jackie was not with him. JFK went to Miami that night, gave the speech with the lines in the middle of to it. Tampa. 
well, he, he went to he finished his Tampa motorcade. Then he flew to Miami. Oh, then he went to Miami. He yeah. beat in Miami to a, a press group, and 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 the next day, some of the papers like Dallas Times Herald, JFK virtually calls for Cuban Cuban coup, and but uh, Commander Almeida got the message. Says that's good enough for me. Let's go with it. And so, in in Dallas, see people let their guard down. That's why. Most of the Secret Service agents on JFK's presidential detail went out drinking until between 2 and 5. Because they thought they just dodged the bullet in Tampa. Exactly. They, they've been tenseness with Chicago. You know, Tampa was, was horrible. Now they can relax. Well, of course, they couldn't relax. We know what happened. You know, uh, as far as, by the way, there was a, a patsy in Tampa uh, who had 26 similarities to Oswald that I detail, I, I summarize in the hidden history of the JFK assassination. I give you every detail in, in Ultimate Sacrifice. Right. And so, um, you know, if, if something had happened to Oswald that morning, you know, the Tampa patsy went to Dallas after Tampa was called off. By the way, the head of the uh, Tampa Police Intelligence Unit, what used to be called the Red squad, but was then called the police intelligence unit, was working for Senator Traficanti. That's how Traficanti found out the police knew, Secret Service knew, that's why they called that off. But again, see, everything looked, everybody could finally relax. And, and so JFK, and this is in the book, is, is talking about how easy it would have been uh, you know, for someone to shoot him from a high building, or when he was at the airport flying into Fort Worth, it would have been easy for somebody, you know, because of what had happened in Chicago and Tampa. So so then, you know, this all happens. Oswald, by the way, the Navy, Naval Intelligence, Marine Intelligence, they, they did their own investigation of Oswald. They concluded he was incapable of doing the actual shooting or masterminding the assassination. I, I talked to somebody who helped with that investigation, who monitored um, Oswald before the assassination. And, and basically, you know, yeah, Oswald didn't do it. Um, you know, professionals did it. I mean, and basically Nolan had said, after Nolan basically told me it was Marcelo Traficani was I said, so you mean it was like a mob hit, you know, with professionals? He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Nolan was so dismissive of, of I mean, it, it's like the fact that Oswald could have done this, you know, it's just like that was just not even worthy of, you know, consideration. So, so bottom line is the files were supposed to be released Back in the late 1990s, the CIA and all the other agencies stalled. And then they were still supposed to be released after that. They weren't. They were supposed to be released in 2017. They weren't. Trump kicked it to 2018. Uh, uh, Joe Biden has now kicked it until December 15th of this year. But he's given the agencies an out. If you ever want to see those documents, though, call the White House. Call your member of Congress. There you call go. your senator. Lamar Waldron. Never get to see those the, 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 the three books. Lamar and I together wrote Ultimate Sacrifice and Legacy of Secrecy, although Lamar did the heavy lifting. And uh, Lamar has since written Watergate, The Hidden History. It's a brilliant trilogy. Lamar, and, thanks so much. And, and, and The Hidden History of the JFK Assassin. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, The Hidden <laughs> okay. History of the JFK Assassin. Yeah, reading the wrong line. Thank you, Lamar. And thank you all for watching us. Get out there, get active. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.